We're beginning a new uh, sermon series this morning, uh, Major in the Minors. We're going to be looking at the minor prophets. We're going to start with Hosea this morning, the first minor prophet. Uh, we won't go in order uh, after that. And listen, it may be that we really need this series. I've been praying to the Lord about it for a while. When will we go through this? But apparently we need it because you don't get to hear everything I get to hear at children's sermon. Renee asked the children, any of y'all ever want to be a boss? And many of them raise their hands and the prophets speak to that. But then when the child said, I want to be an assassin, I thought maybe, <laughs> maybe we need to repent even more deeply. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the minor prophets this morning and we think about that. Look, it's about 20%. 20% of the books of the Bible almost 30% of the authors of Scripture. Think about that. These 12, 30, almost 30% of the authors of Scripture are found right here. So we don't want to miss what God has spoken uh, through these people to us. And listen, I know it's tough, and, and Ben already hinted at this. It's hard to, if I asked you, I'm going to point, I want you to name the minor prophets. Would you have guessed Zechariah? Zephaniah, Jambalaya, Jehovah, I mean, it's, it'd be hard to get through all, I almost want to put the heat on Ben this morning, go Ben, go, it's hard, and I, I get that, um, and not only we, may, we might have trouble naming each one, but listen, if I asked you, what's the book of Genesis about, you could, you could tell me, if I said, what's the gospel of Luke about, Revelation, you could tell me. Tell me specifically, what's the heart of Habakkuk? We might have trouble with that, but that's canon. That's the authoritative word of God, and we don't want to miss it. And so we're going to spend these weeks on Sundays. We'll go through several of them. When I finish Gospel of Luke on Wednesdays, we'll take a few of them on Wednesday night and go through the rest so we don't miss this 20% of God's holy word. So a few things this morning. This morning will be mostly introduction. You, are, you, you all are familiar with Hosea. You know this story. As, as uncomfortable as it is to hear that chapter one read, you know, you know the story of God through Hosea. So this morning, let me just introduce where we're going over these weeks together. Because if you're like me, there may be times in your life where you kind of, unless you're on a Bible reading plan, you're, you're avoiding Malachi. You're, you're avoiding some of the books of the prophets, especially the minor prophets. And I like what Philip Yancey says in his book, The Bible Jesus Read. He said, we, we kind of avoid them because they can tend to be a bit weird. <laughs> they can definitely be confusing. And, and really, you just think, well, are, they, are they all sounding the same? Listen, there's no doubting my boys are my boys, right? They have the curse of the male family unibrow, okay? You see my boys, you got it. Oh, that's Barry's kid, and that Barry is Barry Sr.'s kid. But Joe and Seth are very different when you get to know them. There are some things that are certainly the same when we look at these, these prophets. Yes, for sure. They may sound alike, but there's some incredible differences. We don't want to miss them. We might have the stories of Daniel, the major prophets, and Ezekiel, the valley of the dry bones, or Isaiah's vision. We may remember the great verses of the major prophets, rise 
up with wings like eagles, or he was pierced for our transgressions, or I know the plans that I have for you. But there are so many good words that we get in the Minor Prophets, and I don't want us to miss them. So after we've gone through it, I'd encourage you this week to read uh, the, the, the book of Hosea and to hear again some of the sweetest things in all of Scripture is found in the Minor Prophets. I wouldn't have guessed that when I started reading the Minor Prophets more and more. But as I, but as I, as I, as I followed them, not only does God say some of the sweetest things in his prophets, but he, but he says something of his promises and his plans for human history. He really lays that out for us in the prophets. What do you do with economic disparity? What, what do you do with war? What do you do with this issue of injustice? The prophets speak to that. They speak to the issues of our world. I'm not picking on this celebrity. I won't even name her, but it came up on my Facebook news feed that one of the pop icons from the 90s or 2000s, you'd know her name if I said it, uh, is an atheist now. And they asked her, why is she an atheist? Struggle. There's suffering in this world. It may be the number two thing that people struggle with when they, they run from the Lord is why would a good God allow for suffering in this world? Listen, the Bible doesn't give a systematic answer to that, but the prophets certainly speak to it. They know heartbreak and they know struggle. So stay with us in this series because you're going to see God's redeeming plan for suffering. You're going to hear the prophecies of God himself entering into human suffering so he can take it into himself and redeem it. There's so much here for us about our world today. It's not so much about, and we'll talk about this, what's happening in the future, but what God can do right here. But these sweet words, even in the midst of brokenness and real sin, and we're going to deal with that today, you don't, and I like what Philip Yancey says here, up until going from the first five books of the Bible through the historical books, through the wisdom literature, it's in the prophets. That's where you really begin to see the heart of God for his people. He's always had it. But it's where God begins to put this on display. You're going to see it in chapter 2 here, where God even says, and it's not just here, it's in Isaiah, it's in Jeremiah, but you're going to even see it peppered throughout this book. I want to be husband to my people. I want that kind of relationship with my people. Not just you repent, you grovel and live for me, but real relationship, God to people. What a picture we're going to get of who God is, of his heart, what he desires. Now, you know, you know this story of, of this picture of Hosea and Gomer and what God's called Hosea to do to, to bring back a Gomer, no matter her uh, uh, adultery, to call her back. Uh, it's a picture, again, of God's love. And listen, this is, this is a picture for us of the depth of our sin. The number one context for sin in the scriptures is not something you have done, but when you read the Old Testament, it puts it in adultery terms. You've taken someone else. You've run to someone else. You've not just missed the mark, that may be the word for sin, but the context routinely is you've run to somebody else. 
It's graphic. It is sharp. Many of you remember Dr. Sandy Richter, who used to be a member of our church here. She was a professor of Old Testament at Wesley Biblical Seminary before she left to go teach at Wheaton. But I remember when she, I think it was when she was here, uh, maybe before that, but I think she tells it that she was here. One of her young children, I won't name them, but kept pushing at a very young age to be able to take communion. And Steve and Sandy just thought, not right now, we'll wait till you get a little bit older till you receive that. And finally, that child knew how to push Sandy's buttons. She didn't say, if you don't let me take communion, I'm going to act up in church. If you don't let me take communion, I'm going to be mean in Sunday school. Let me get the words right. I put them in my Bible. Here's what she said. Give me the bread or I will worship false gods. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's what you tell an Old Testament professor. I mean, that's how you rebel against your parents. She got the bread. <laughs> and Homer got false gods. She ran and took on others. But the picture that God's sharing with us through the prophets, but specifically Hosea, is we've all run. We've all done this. And yet, here's the mercy of God to tell us about sin, but to call us home. To call us home and to be faithful to redeem and to pour out his love upon us, even in the midst of that. Look at, you know Hosea's world. You know the world of the prophets in Isaiah or whether it's Judah as well. You know that there's all kinds of political corruption. There's all kinds of worry. If I say the wrong thing, he's already seen four murdered uh, leaders. He's lived through that. And so uh, uh, what if I say truth? Will I take it on the chin? But it's not the political corruption. It's the spiritual corruption. The people of God are mixing with other faiths. There's idolatry and pagan ideas. Maybe they're compromising because of fear, but more than likely you read this, they're compromising just as Renee said, to get what you want. You just take what you want when you want it. And they fall into black magic. They fall into sacrificing their own children. They fall hard. And so they need this word. They need this reminder to come home. And listen, you can't, you can't miss that hard picture. If you, and I'm going to jump back and forth from chapter 1 to 11. You, and so in your Bibles or in your study, go back to those two chapters because you see it, the obvious uh, sin in chapter 1. But if you go over to chapter 11, those first seven verses as well, you are bent. You are bent on turning from me. God's saying to, yes, not Gomer, but saying to Israel, saying to us, that we're bent towards sin. This is maybe the darkest time in Israel's history. You can't get over their awfulness of sin here, this picture that's painted for us of them turning their backs, not just on God, but again, just the spiritual taking, the physical taking of another. Anybody remember the Rat Packs movie, Ocean's Eleven, if you're a little bit older? Well, they remade that, I think, in the 90s or the 2000s with George Clooney and Brad Pitt and all those guys. And I remember in that movie, George Clooney is married to Julia Roberts, and he's in prison, so she divorces him while he's in prison. He gets out of prison, and he goes and meets with her, and she's now with another guy, some, I'd be careful what I say in front of kids, just a bad guy, got bad guy named Benedict. And when he goes to see her, he basically says, anybody. Anybody but him, not him. That's what you kind of get in Hosea. Not those gods. Do you know what they do? 
you know what they're going to do to you? Do you know what they're going to ask of you? Not the Baal, not the Asherah. Don't go there. You see it in chapter 11. Again, you can go back and read that later. This, this pointing out, yes, of their sin and who they've turn to. And then, not only is it a clear line drawn in the sand, and listen, I know it's harder today, but the line's still drawn in the sand. God's always drawn a line. But it was so clear in that day that she or Israel had stepped over a line, and it was rightly, in, she was yes, in sin, and had broken a relationship. And then you see in chapter 1 and chapter 11 the judgment of that. And you see, and really Hosea is three lawsuits. It's three lawsuits throughout the book. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 12 through 14. Three lawsuits and three judgments. One commentary said this, Hosea in a real sense was to summon Israel to the bar of justice. And you heard Ben read it, and the scripture actually gives the names of these kids. The judgment on sin. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, Precious thing to be able to name a child, but, but sadly, as you read, and I just put one entry into Google this week, kids' names, 2022. I stopped after the letter G. I couldn't stop laughing, but at the same time, it also broke my heart that these kids were stuck, stuck with names like A, B, C, D, E. Have you seen that one? There's hundreds of kids named A, B, C, D, E. Uh, there's one kid named, or some kids named Baby Boy, this is actually pretty cool. ESPN, I like that. That's pretty good. Uh, F-E-L-L-O-N-Y. And yes, somebody did the work. There are several people in prison who've committed a felony named Felony. So, but I decided to quit after the, I saw the name Gassy. I thought that was just wrong. Not looking anymore. These names. God acknowledges sin, and you're not going to miss this. This is the good sermon out of these weeks together. There's going to be some hard things that the prophets say to the people of God that the people of God need to hear. But as we introduce this series, you can't, not just, you can't miss the reality of sin, but you also can't miss the judgment of God. And you look at these children, they'll be called threatened judgment, mercy not obtained. You're gone. You're, you're gone. You're not my people anymore. God is judge. Think about those kids for all their lives. Every time they heard their name called, they just had to a wince a little bit. That's my name? That's the reality of what is happening. God judges sin. But you see it here in chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. After he said those names, the next thing he says is, I'm going to bless you all. If you come back to me, I'm going to multiply you everywhere. I'm not going anywhere. You may have gone, but I'm not, and I'm going to continue to reach. Go over to chapter 11 and read 8 through 9. God offers his love. God, God speaks of, of, of what he desires for his people. You can't miss God's justice and judgment, yes, but Hosea is saying, I God is saying through Isaiah, come home, I will receive you. We hear this story and we, we, we need to do that work. 
not only to celebrate who God is, but to say, Lord, where, where in my life, as I look through my life, my attitudes, my, my heart, my imaginations, my life, how is it, is there a place in my life where I have crossed a line? You look at Gomer's story, and, it, and it's wild. I won't even talk about some of the perversion there. But you look at Hosea's reach for her. She's lost trust. The family's lost respect. It's going to cost, if you read the story, cost to get her back. And yet it's just like God to do this work and to say to people who have crossed a line, I am not a country, I'm not, I didn't grow up on country music, okay, I grew up in Pennsylvania, I just, I didn't get that. I, I did see a Time Life infomercial about 10 years ago, so I'm obsessed with country music from the 50s, 60s, early 70s, I'm into that now. So I don't know modern country, but you'll know Leanne Rimes and Trisha Yearwood, everybody knows them. And you remember the song, right? What's the song they sang? If I had to live without you, what kind of life would that be? Oh, I need you in my arms, need you to hold your world, my heart, my soul. If you ever leave, baby, you would take everywhere, everything good in my life and tell me how, yeah, some of y'all are mouthing, you know that. How could I live without you? How could I breathe without you? How do I ever survive? How do I, how do I, oh, how do I live? Now, for many of us, that's a, when you read it, it's not as powerful as hearing it. When you read it, you're going, ah, that's a little sappy, that's a little... That's Hosea. There ought to be a law. I'm going to file a lawsuit on, the, on behalf of Christendom against Yearwood and Rhymes. Because you go to Hosea 11. If you want to turn over there with me, I want to read you verse 8. And it may go into verse 9 as well. This is what the Lord says. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I set you like Zeboam? My heart churns within me. My sympathy is stirred. And I love how Eugene Peterson, and he's a good Bible scholar. I know it's a paraphrase, so it's not meant to be your study Bible. If you read the message, it's a paraphrase. But I love how, how Eugene Peterson translates, my heart turns within me. Thinking about Gomer's, what she's done, but Hosea saying to Gomer, but God saying to his people and all the craziness they had done. His paraphrase says this. I can't bear to think about it. To even imagine a God who is the Holy One. We're not, we're not, you can't miss His holiness. We'll talk about that in a minute. You can't miss that He is the Holy One. He sees sin, the perversity of sin, the craziness of sin, the, the wrecking nature of sin. I don't even want to think about life without you. What a picture we get of the love of God. And if you go to chapter 11, that's always been on God's heart. Go back to verse 1. The horror of her sin, the horror of Israel's sin, the horror of our sin. But what's in the heart of God? What's on his lips through the prophet Hosea? When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. 
The plan's already there. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That Christ would come. Go to verse 9. I will not execute my fierceness of anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. I am the Holy One in your midst, but I will not come in terror. These are beautiful words. You keep seeing these words like, my heart is turned over within me, or my compassions are kindled. Y'all, again, I'm not going to tell any stories today on that, but you've heard me preach on that word, compassion. It's connected with the word bowels. That my belly turns over and over and over when I think about you and your lostness and your struggle, and I am going to move towards you. God is moved. That's the love of God for us. As Protestants, we celebrate a barren cross. I understand why Catholics would put Christ on the cross and have a crucifix to show that the Son of God gifted all for us. Read Hebrews and the Gospels. We're reminded that the work on the cross is complete. It is done. It is empty. That work is finished. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. He was raised up. The work on the cross was accepted, and it is barren because you and I can rest in it. Christ no longer suffers for sin. He did everything he needed to do on Good Friday. But there was a medieval monk uh, said he was going to preach a sermon on the love of God. And so he dimmed the lights in the sanctuary and everybody came to hear, just come to, the, come to the church, we're going to be talking about the love of God. So the place was packed because all of us, all of us struggle with love. All of us maybe struggle with receiving love. So everybody had come to the sermon. So dark, nobody can see much of anything and he simply just takes one candle in the barely lit room and he goes up to the crucifix. He shows the head. He shows the hands. He shows the side. He shows the feet. Amen. Amen. The love of God. That he would gift us his son. No matter whatever line we've crossed, however we have strayed, whatever gods we have run to, it's the redeeming love of God. You see it in this story. And if you don't believe it, this is God's testimony to you. If you've run from him, if you're struggling, if you have insecurities, if you have those doubts and feelings, here is the love of God, a love that will reach. Would you receive it today? But maybe today as well, you and I need to name those places. Is there a place in your life that is like Egypt or Assyria or you need to name today, I've, I'm losing it in my imagination. I'm crossing a line in envy. I'm crossing a line in pride. I'm crossing a line, whatever it may be. There's, there's redeeming work here. The love of God is for us. Is there a repentance that needs to happen in your life? And then lastly, you say, well, pastor, I don't have that. I've received God's love. I'm, I, I know he loves me. I don't have a place of willful or crazy disobedience in my life. I love what our choir said this morning, and that's why I said they, they preached the sermon for us. When, when they said as they closed that, now you need, to, you need to go and do what he did. I mean, that's basically what they said. Whatever he's gifted you with, his life, you need to go and live that. How do you live out this kind of love? Israel is supposed to be the world's school teacher. 
to love like God loves, and they struggle. How is it you and I are going to love like God loves? Can we forgive like God forgives? Let's pray about that. Father, there's so much here that you have shared with us in this word about who you are and who we are to be. We praise you and we thank you for what you've reminded us today about yourself. That you're a God who can love and reach for those who are undeserving. Those who have run from you. And yet you're so good. You're so faithful. Wherever we are, Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would lead our response this morning. That if we need to receive your love, to believe your word, not to trust our feelings, but to trust your word, would you help us receive that? Father, if there are places in our lives where we're reaching for another, another thing, an accomplishment, a person, help us to repent of that, but then also to have a love like this in a world, in a world that so desperately needs grace. Would you help us to be forgiving like you are forgiving, to be loving like you are loving? Bless now our response. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.